So in the new creation, we understand that Ephesians chapter 1 says that God has blessed us with every blessing, spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. Right? Which means that every blessing that God could ever bless his people with, he's already blessed us with it. We may not be walking in those blessings. We may not be seeing the manifestation of those blessings in our life. It's only because God requires us to develop the character of Christ. If we develop the character of Christ, now the character of Christ understands that there's a twofold purpose to the blessing. The blessing comes as a benefit to you, and the purpose of the blessing is so that you can steward the blessing, so that you can live long, and the blessing can have an impact on the world as long as you live. Now I'm going to say something that might shock you. I'm not living for another generation. I'm not saving my money to give it to my kids. I'm saving my money so that I can spend it with my kids. Uh, you, you now have taken you deep in straight away. Some of you are already shocked. But just know that that religion has to fall off. That old mindset that I have to save money for retirement, man, I don't know what is going to happen. All that stuff that you learned growing up, just forget it. Because what God wants to do with us in this generation is that he wants us to live. And if you understand that the purpose in your life from God is for you to live, then he will give you blessings that will never end. Everybody wants God to bless me, God, bless me, bless me, bless me, bless me. Bless me sounds like a thing. Until you understand that God's blessings are as eternal as he is. When you understand that fact that God's blessings never end. You might go to work, get your salary at the end of the month, and by the second week, it's ended. And then after that faith, faith, Father, I believe that you can provide. And then, the, you know, the vibrato starts, <laughs> you start singing, then sings my soul. You do all of this emotional, you know, Old Testament jargon in church. And you wonder why God is not answering my prayers. Because God has already answered the prayer. See, if your company, if you understand, you go to work and you earn a salary, your company, when you finish your salary, your company is not going, okay, take one more. <laughs> Halfway through the month, take another one. No, take another one. They're not there to keep giving you because you need to understand how to steward what they've given you. Same thing with your business. Same thing with your children. Same thing with the church. Same thing with all of creation. God has given us life and life in its abundance. Why? Because the purpose of the blessing is that the character of Jesus enables you to live and sustain all of creation around you. So if God were to give you abundance, let's say it's prosperity. The word sozo, in, 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 salvation in Greek is the word sozo, which one of the words is prosperity. He wants to give you a prosperous life. 
for the ones who are saying amen, you understand that the nature of the word in this church is very prophetic. Understand that we're a prophetic church. Every word that comes out of the mouth of God has the ability to accomplish everything that he sends it out to do. Even a joke is prophetic. <laughs> you laugh, it's prophetic. Yeah, it's a prophetic laugh. <laughs> See, let me tell you something. You, you think you understood the joke. The devil did not get it. When you laugh, ha, 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 it's like speaking in tongues. It's a language, it's a mysterious language. You're like, well, why are these Christians laughing? Brother, you don't understand. I have an assurance of faith that he who is the God of the impossible has given me a word that will make every situation and circumstance possible in my life. Come on now. Right, so before I get carried away into everything else, let me finish with my message. Then we can have some fun tonight. Okay? So, the new creation, without the character of Christ, will destroy the blessing that God has given him. It is only the character of Jesus that will enable this new creation being that has never existed before. This new creation. You're a new creation. Let me say it, the new creation people, this side. You're a new creation. And the new creation has the ability or the character of Christ in him to, to receive the blessing but not keep it. To receive the blessing so that you can multiply the blessing so that you can have an impact in the world. Look at, look at how Jesus always blessed people in the Bible. Every time that he talks about a parable of blessing, he talks about, oh, there was a Lord uh, and, and, and he owned this, uh, this these amount of these five talents and he gave these five talents to this one, two to this one and one to the other and he wanted to see what you did with it. So your salary that you get at the end of the month, do you think it's yours? That business you own, do you think it's yours? Those children you think you own, do you think it's yours? <laughs> He's very particular. He says, raise up the child in the way they should go, not where you want to go. You might have made some really bad decisions and you're hoping that you'll make good decisions with them and hoping that your dreams will be fulfilled in their life. Hello. Come on, today our parents are going to love the word, I'm telling you. It's going to be awesome. So today, we're going to build on the character of Christ. Okay, anybody ready to build some character? Awesome. Today, we're going to build on the character of Christ. And the title of my message is the same title that it was two weeks ago, the character of the new creation. But today, we're going to build on the peace of God. All right, the peace of God. The one thing that really defines a Christian or a Christ follower or a believer in Jesus is this thing called peace. You know why Christians are a soft target? It's not that they can't defend themselves. It's that they choose peace. Mahatma Gandhi did not invent peace. Neither did Nelson Mandela. Although their approach was non-violence, the foundation or the core of who they are 
was peace. The, the foundation of their message, the core of their message was peace. And Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. And because he's called the Prince of Peace, he is peace himself. And at the core of who Jesus, the core of his character is that Jesus is peace itself. And so you, you cannot call yourself a new creation in Christ Jesus if peace is not at the center of who you are. If you were to really look at your life, just look, just look, little, little things, just little things. When money dries up mid-month, what is the peace meter in your life? Right? When your kid does not behave the way they should behave, what is the... It's becoming red. We're going to the red zone now. Right? When your sales target is not met, hmm? what happens to the peace meter in your, in your mind? God wants us to be centered in peace. The core of who we are, the core value system, God wants us to have peace in that place. And now let me tell you something. The enemy who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, he brings circumstances and situations in your life only to throw you off the center of peace. That's it. He doesn't want to touch your body. He doesn't want to, uh, he doesn't want to harm you. He doesn't want to... He, You'll do that on your own. Do you understand? That if you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, it means that you are, the Bible says, that you are hidden in Christ. He cannot even touch you. If he has to touch you, he has to touch Jesus first, and that's an electric shock. He won't do that. Because there's so much of glory around Jesus that the enemy, the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. So you're telling me the enemy can really touch you? He cannot touch you. Not even close. Not even close. So stop saying, brother, the devil is attacking me. No, no. You are attacking yourself. <laughs> Here's the strategy of the enemy. He will bring circumstances and situations in your life that will speak a message to you. Those circumstances will give you a word. And that word, if you even look at it, even if you look at that circumstance or situation in your life, even if you consider it as yours, oh brother, I'm sick. I don't have money. Huh? What you're doing is you're opening up the door for just that word, that little seed to come into your mind. See, the enemy creates circumstances around you and those circumstances carry an atmosphere. That atmosphere carries a word. And if you open up your heart to that word, now that circumstance, there is an owner to that circumstance. A situation in your life, he owns that circumstance and situation. And if you allow that word to enter, creep into your mind, now the owner of that circumstance that is on the outside begins to get on the... And when it goes on the inside, you will wreak havoc over your life. A lot of the times we give the devil credit for what we do to, our, to ourselves. I know, I know. 
I know. A lot of the times we blame the church, we blame our parents, we blame everything around. My boss is not letting me. All of the country, oh, the recession, all of that stuff. If you were to only stop and just think about what's happening around you. Oh, pastor's not calling me. Look at my circumstance. He doesn't love me. Brother, Jesus loved you. He died for you. Why does the pastor need to die for you? So if he paid the price, just let him pay the price. Right? We believe lies from every circumstance around us. If we have not managed our finances and we don't have money and we're wondering why this money is not coming. I'm praying, speedy angel, bring money. It's not coming. (laughs) Lord, let money fall from the roof. (laughs) It's not falling. God, are you there? We are in Christ, seated in heavenly places, asking if God is there. Just think about how the enemy causes you to be foolish in the presence of God. But even with that, God still loves you. Don't worry about it. But see, the issue here is, while you're in the presence of God, in the atmosphere of heaven, the atmosphere around you should be an atmosphere of the impossible becoming possible. But but because... And negative circumstances come into your life and it's sharing a word with you and you're believing that word. It's causing God's presence, God's ability to be limited in your life. We need to create the, 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 the Bible says that we need to strive to enter into rest. But let me tell you something what the enemy does. By bringing the circumstances and situations around you, he causes you to strive for something that God has given you for free. Let me tell you another thing. He causes you to strive to survive. Pastor John is preaching it today. By your silence, I can tell. By the looks on your face. Hallelujah. We've come into this relationship with God that everything else determines the blessing in my life. Not really the atmosphere of heaven in my life. Not really the choices that I make based on the word of God. You see, God's strategy is also the same. (laughs) It's all about two trees in the garden. It's all about two seeds. It's all about two sons. Two words. Every time, listen to me very carefully, every time you hear a negative word, there is always a positive waiting for you. Every time. Every time. 
And you are the king over your life. And God has given you the choice to say, you choose me or you choose the devil. You choose the truth or you choose a lie. You, some of us believe the lie is the truth. But a lie is a lie, brother. There's no white lies. There's no gray ones. There's no, it's all of the devil. There's only the truth. Even the knowledge of the good and evil is not even of God. Oh, Finson, such a good worship leader. No. Hello, you are so good looking. No, brother, what is the truth? You are made in the image and likeness of God. You are perfect. You are blameless. You are holy. You are a new creation in Christ. That is the truth. Not that you are good looking today and then 30 years down the line, you are not so good looking. Right? We get caught into this realm of, wow, she's the perfect one because she's got the perfect shape. And then 20 years down the line, after three kids, hello, the shape is changing. And so she's not so good looking. And so, Pastor, you know, my, you know I'm just a man, you know, and a man has needs in, my, in his life. Hello. I've, trust me, 26 years of being in ministry, I've heard such excuses. They make excuses to look at other women. Excuse me, God made me a man. God didn't make you a man, man. He made you into the image and likeness of his son. He made you into his son. And his son only has eyes for the father. His son has only eyes for one bride. Hello. All the ladies are clapping. All the men are like, can you pick on them? Pick on them. Pick on them now. Their turn. <laughs> God's desire for you and me is not to strive to survive, but to thrive by being creative. The enemy hates you doing anything new. He loves to keep you in the past. And if he can keep you in the past, then you create your future as your past. And so you keep living your future in your past. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay. We're doing past future rather than going past the past into the future. Listen, God is not looking for you to become a better person. Did you know that? He's looking for you to become a new creation. That's why he says the old is gone and behold new has come. You're a new creation, which means you are, your, your, your natural state is to create. God didn't look at the earth and say, oh my goodness. Oh my God. Let us create something. This place is going to the dogs. This person, man, let us help them look at their life. The earth is null and void. Let's create something beautiful for us. We need these people to worship us. If they don't worship us, then who is God then to them? Please listen to what I'm saying. It's very important that you understand that God did not need to create. He was in a state of peace. He was in a state of rest when he created. 
And so the enemy will cause you to shift from a place of peace. From the center, being centered into peace. Because he knows if he can get you off that center, he can get, just have one troubling thought. If you can respond to that one troubling thought, then I can get you off your center. If I can get you out of peace, if I can get you to be worried, give you a little tension by allowing a little stress in your life. Give you a little tension. But some people say, tension is good, pastor. I need some tension in my life because I will never do anything good. See, that's the lie. <laughs> it's a lie. It's the, you, are ne you were never created for stress and tension. In fact, stress and tension are the very things that give people heart attacks and heart disease and all the other disease and pressure and all that stuff. God gave you the right pressure, brother. <laughs> the right pressure. Do you understand? He did not create you with, with being so fragile that anything will cause the pressure to go up and then finished. He's gone. Do you understand? You have pressure... Because you've believed a lie. If you can stop believing a lie and you can re be centered in the peace of God, then all your pressure will come down. All right? All the sickness will leave your body. Trust me. Just if you can only allow the peace of God to fill your heart, if you can allow the, create a value system for peace, peace alone, just peace. Everything around you will be created new. You will be able to step into places of authority. The minute the enemy shifts you from your center of, a of, of peace, you will only survive. You will fight. The whole focus will only be you. But when you're centered in peace, nothing moves you. There's no circumstance, there's no situation that can move you. Why? It's because you are centered in the Word of God. You are centered in the peace of God. The peace that surpasses all understanding has become a core value in your life now. And when the peace is, is right, listen, there's these, these people who are going into the mountains for peace. Mm. <gasps> Doing all of this stuff to get little peace. But they're not that when they come down from the mountain, they leave the piece up there and they come. <laughs> let me tell you something. Let me, can I push you a little bit? I think you're offended already. Let me push you a little bit more. You know this, this thing of going for a holiday? I just want to go to New Zealand. I just want to breathe the air because I'm so. I need fresh air. This AC is just like. Oh. I need a time of rest, brother. I need. I need Listen, God created you to work. <laughs> God created you to work. He's given you the ability to work. The, the reason why you are looking for a holiday, like Dubai, the culture here is that everybody works so hard to go on a holiday. Like your whole life is around that. Twice a year, three times a year, once a year. Merry Christmas, I'm going to, you know, Merry Christmas. In Christmas, I have to go, I have to go. No, you don't have to go. What if, what, if, what, if, what if I told you that you could be on a holiday, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days of the year? Being in a state of peace. Being in a state of peace is like being on a holiday. 
It's being centered in the rest of God. It's a beautiful thing. The enemy cannot shake you out of that place. And when you are in that place of peace, now you can create, you can transform every circumstance, every situation in your life. Since Kelsey was on talking about the parents and exams, and it's the season for exams, you know, I want to I wanna say this to the parents. Just take a chill pill, man. <laughs> Just relax. Stop trying to put pressure on them to perform. Because society, ooh, all their colleagues are getting 95. How come she's getting 40? <laughs> she, something's wrong with her. Go study. Don't go to church. Don't go for life group. Don't go out to play. Don't go out. No video games. No computer. No phone. No, no. It's like. So we've created a performance mindset with our kids that causes them to strive to survive. Where did you hear that? Strive to survive. It's the tactic of the devil. And we've caused them, because we want them to get good college, good university, 95%, 96, 97, 98, 90, why you got 99.9? <laughs> what happened to that 1%? Not realizing the parents are not correcting the books. The exams, the teachers are correct. It's on somebody else's hand. Why don't we, we term, why, why don't we give them a success report by saying this? If I create a peaceful environment for my child to study in, to do their exams, and to get their results. And if they pass peace, they've passed their exams. Yeah. If they're peaceful while they're studying, then the parents have done their job. Not if they close them and shut them in the door and say, shush, study. No TV. <laughs> We're telling our children that I don't trust you. I don't trust you making grown-up decisions. You will always be a child. And then we, exp and we wonder why she's 16 years old, she's acting like she's 12. Listen, we must come into this place where we really trust our kids. The reason why they are like that is because you are like that. The reason why they are fearful and timid is because you've created that environment. The reason why the kids lack confidence is because you've robbed it. Come on. If you are centered in peace as a, as a parent, no matter what their performance is, you will always remain in peace. If you're in peace, then you're in joy. If you're in joy, then you're in love. Everything flows out of this place because your kid, no matter, even if they fail the exam, my God, what a joy it is for me to look after you for another year. That's the, that's the mindset that we need to have. It's like, it's like when they're kids, like when they're, when they're like babies, we're like, oh, you're growing so fast, you're growing so fast, you're growing so fast. Where are those years? Oh, my gosh, you're like, you're like a big girl now. And then when school starts, it's like, I can't wait for you to leave the house. Get married, go. Become somebody else's problem. That's what we're telling our kids. 
But something happens between being cute and being a pain. <laughs> it's a circumstance around the parent that says, I have to pay fees for another year. Where am I going to get that money from? It's a circumstance that gives you a word that causes you to get out of peace. And it causes you to look at lack and says, mm, nah, I need to give you boundaries. I, I, boundaries is the room. Huh? No friends. And you, and you wonder why your kids become a loner. Why they're struggling with depression. Why they're struggling with anxiety. It's because you put so much of pressure on them that they don't know how to handle that pressure. See, it's really good that kids are tested. Let me tell you something. All of us, the nature of God is that he tests us. But the thing is, God does not force a performance mindset on us. He causes us to face tests that we can bear. The Bible says that he will not allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. And even when you are tempted, he makes a way out. Oh, come on. It's so good. So good. The nature of God. Why don't we do that with our kids? Why doesn't the pastor and the leaders and the life coaches do that with the people? Hello. I was, I was getting to that now. You must understand that the nature of God is to test you. But the reason why he tests you is so that you can grow. You can grow in your authority, in your dominion, and the power that already exists on the inside of you. He's not saying, okay, pass the test and I'll give you more anointing. No, no, he's given everything. Do you understand that? He's given you everything. He's given you everything. He's given you all authority. He's given you all power. He's given you all dominion. Right? See, the, the issue is because we have not passed the previous test, we've not experienced the next level of glory. Do you understand? That's the way it works. He gives you your salary, but he doesn't tell you how much to give him. In the new covenant, there's no 10%, right? So he gives you your salary and he says, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll trust them. Let's see how they pass the test. If your heart says, God, you know, the law says that I need to give you 10%. Well, that's exactly what he will, he will give you. The Bible says, give and it shall be given. Give to who? No. It says, give and it shall be given to you. Who are you giving to first? To? You can say it. Give and it shall be given to you. By whom? Press down, shaken together. So if you say that God, I'm honoring you with 10% of my salary, now he will get 10% and he will press it down, shake together and running over 10%. That's what you're saying to God. God, I don't trust you. I only trust you 10%. Right. So, please, you must understand, the way it works with God is relational, not functional. That function contract was canceled, and now it's a relationship contract with God. 
So God allows us to get tested sometimes by the enemy. He allows certain circumstances in our life to come across our way so that his desire is for you to mature in your power, in your authority, in your dominion over these things. So if you were to think about the circumstances you're going to, whether it's job loss, whether it's loss of business, whether it's money, whether it's loss of a marriage, children, a loved one, whatever it is, God has given you the grace to overcome it. God has given you the authority to overcome it. There is no demon in hell that is more powerful than you. You are more powerful than any demon in hell because you have been given the authority. You have been given the power. Right. So Jesus, I want to I take you through quickly through, through, through some scripture because I want you to, to understand that even Jesus was tempted. Even Jesus was tested. And as he passed the test, the test became more severe and more severe and more severe. And it was culminating to this moment. It was maturing Jesus to this moment of the crucifixion, which was the ultimate test. But from the time Jesus was a young man, he always knew what he had to do. Jesus did not come to the earth and said, Oh, Father, what, what, what am I here for? <laughs> right? What, what, what am I doing here? So the first test that Jesus goes through, you must understand that he's very focused. He's a focused individual. And everything that Jesus wanted to do was die. He came to die. So that you can live. That's his focus, right? So, when, when, so the first test that Jesus goes through is at the, the wedding at Cana, right? He goes to that wedding and he's enjoying a wedding, man. It's like, it's like coming to church sometimes, please pray for me, pray for me. It's like that. <laughs> so his focus is now to die, but he comes to this wedding and his mother says, make wine for them. They've run out of wine. You understand? See, you, you must understand, as a mother, she, she's feeling for the wedding. This is an emotional thing. Right? Oh, they, they ran out of wine, you know, so sad. What, what would their name be? You know, there's like, poor thing. Jesus, make some wine, no, please, for them. And Jesus' response is, what does this have to do with me? So basically what he's saying, listen, I can't be distracted by this human stuff. I can't be distracted by this emotional stuff. I can't be distracted by the storm that's in your life. God has called me to do something. Don't distract me right now. I am here because I want to lay my life. And my time has not come. Don't start the process too early. But his mother says, just do it anyways, Baba. Please, for my sake, just do it. And so he makes the wine. But this is before Jesus was baptized. And now Jesus in, in, in Luke chapter 3, he gets baptized and, and the, 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 the Bible says that as he came out of the water, the spirit of the Lord descended upon him, right? In the shape of a dove. It descended upon him and Jesus instantly was led by the spirit. Very important. As a new creation, if you're leading your life, then you're still living in the old creation, If you're still making choices over your life, you're still being led by the old man. Why? It's because the old man looks at the knowledge of good and evil, at the wisdom of this world, and decides what's good for him or bad for him. But when you're led by the Holy Spirit, now you submit your choice to the Holy Spirit. 
And the Holy Spirit begins to lead your life. The Holy Spirit tells you which church to go to. The Holy Spirit tells you how much to give. The Holy Spirit leads you who to pray for, who to, when to cast out the demons, when to preach the gospel, when to cleanse the lepers. The Holy Spirit begins to teach you. Do you understand? And so now, the Bible says that the, that the Spirit led him into the wilderness. Not to fast, but to be tempted. It's a different test. It's the first test that Jesus goes through where the Spirit comes upon him and says, Listen, Jesus, now it's time for me to teach you to grow in your authority. Do you understand? It's time now as a new creation because the Holy Spirit is upon you now. Now it's time for you to step into your dominion. And then he takes him and now it's Luke 4. Let's read that. Luke 4 chapter, sorry, Luke chapter 4 verse 1. Then Jesus being filled, what? Being filled with the Holy Spirit returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days, Jesus ate nothing. And afterward, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, command the stone to become bread. Right? And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. All right, now look at me. I've preached on this many times, and many people have misunderstood this aspect of this passage, okay? And many people think that fasting from food, or let's say fasting in general, gives you power over the devil. It's very plain in English that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted. And it says that Jesus did not eat anything those days. There's a difference between growing in power and not being distracted. <laughs> yeah. You must understand, what was the first temptation that Jesus went through? Food. Fasting from food doesn't give you the power to overcome the enemy. Please listen to me very carefully. The religion, cause, religious people have been preaching that, brother, do 40-day fast like Jesus, and I'm telling you, you will have power like Jesus. And then we'll do the Daniel fast. And then whole life you're fasting only. And you're wondering why you don't have any power. In fact, you're actually becoming more weaker. If you allow the Holy Spirit to lead you, he will lead you to a place of temptation. Right? He will lead you into a place of temptation. So if you're going through temptation... That's the spirit leading you. If you feel that drawing to a club or a bar. <laughs> oh man, I'm telling you the religious people are going to have a, a whale of a time with what I just said. You must, you must understand. The Holy Spirit is not religious. 
He is interested in maturing you. And he'll take you to the place that you are, you think you are the weakest. But only to reveal that you are the most powerful in that moment. Do you understand? If you're being tempted with something, the Holy Spirit has given you the grace. He has given you the power to overcome that temptation. When you do that, you've passed the test. Now it's on to the next one. Do you, do you understand? See, a lot of times people think, I need to fast. I need to pray, brother. I need to read my Bible. I need, then I will overcome temptation. No. Jesus did not read the Bible in those days. He was living of the word of God. The preceding word. And Jesus made a choice not to eat in those days. He made the choice not to eat. He could have eaten and still passed the test. But Jesus chose not to be distracted because he knew what was coming ahead of him. He knew that the enemy would come to him and says, Jesus, you are hungry. Turn these stones to bread. And Jesus turns around and says, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Our sustenance is not from the flesh. Our sustenance is something, something from above. And the Bible says that he who is from above is above all things. And so Jesus now goes around in, in this wilderness of 40 days, 40 nights. He's been, te he's been tempted of the devil for 40 days. My goodness. And then it says after that, it says that Jesus came out of the wilderness filled with power. Oh. Let me tell you something. It's like this. Every time you overcome temptation... Every time you overcome temptation, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony, you move to the next one. You've become powerful. And then you overcome the next hurdle, the next test, and you become powerful. And the next test, you become powerful. Then you become powerful, 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 powerful. This is how you grow from glory to glory, strength to strength in the kingdom of God. He's not calling you as a weak person. He's setting you up to become strong. See, what's most important is being led by the Spirit, isn't it? When the Spirit, the whole purpose of the Spirit leading us is to overcome. He's called you. He's given you the ability to be an overcomer. Not an undergoer, overcomer. You're an overcomer. Touch your neighbor and say, I'm an overcomer. An overcomer. I'm an overcomer. Just shake that one who's, shake it. I'm an overcomer, man. Overcome, overcome, overcome. <laughs> Don't look at each other with that nice Christian smile. Praise the Lord. You're an overcomer. It's very important for us to understand the way God works. The way He works is that He'll cause you to have Temptation in the secret place. Never public first. He'll cause you to have victories in the secret place before he brings you up on stage. Before he brings you up before people. Why? It's because he's interested in growing you little by little, little by little, little by little. He'll never put you in a place where you 
where you it's too much for you to handle because if it's too much for you to handle then you start performing for him and a lot of times as christians we perform for god because we don't know that he is already pleased with us even before you were born he was already pleased with you even before the foundation of the world he already chose you you know david had to overcome the lion and the bear when no one was looking so that when he stands before millions of people who are ready to kill each other just imagine the pressure when one lion and one bear wanted to kill his sheep he went at it and defended his sheep passed the test when no one was applauding him when no one was liking his facebook post <laughs> that's the is the is the is the millennial affirmation <laughs> Right? When nobody was looking at him, God was looking at him. God's eye is on you. He is watching you. How you conduct yourself, how you treat your family, how you treat your wife, how you treat your kids, how you treat your boss who's persecuting you at work, he's looking at you. And he's allowing these circumstances to come around you so that you can pass the test. pass the test touch your neighbor and say pass the test pass the test let's go to mark chapter 4 <laughs> it's another test <clears throat> jesus thank you lord <coughs> verse 35 On the same day when evening had come Jesus said to them let us cross over to the other side Jesus did not tell them how but he just, <laughs> It's a test man Now when they had left the multitude they took him along in the boat and he as he was That's a very interesting statement right as he was you must read the bible it's absolutely awesome that was a test now when they had left the multitude they took him as he was which means jesus is a little sleepy and other little boats were also with him so it was <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't one boat and jesus was in a certain condition as he was okay are you picturing it okay verse 37 and a great wind storm arose and the waves wait waves the w- <laughs> just weave at me just weave oh. lord i receive your intoxication i don't mind Shall we read it again? Please. <laughs> oh. Test. 
And a, <laughs> and a great windstorm arose and the waves beat in, into the boat so that, so that it was already filling. <laughs> but he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. It's like, you know, these people who go flying on, on, in, in, not flying, you know, they go. <laughs> they go on a plane, you know, on holidays, those ones, you know, <laughs> those ones. And they take their little pillow with them. And so Jesus was one of them. <laughs> This is in the Bible, man. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind. You know, they didn't even respond to them. He arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared. <laughs> they didn't just fear, they feared exceedingly. <laughs> and said to one another, who can this be in the boat? <laughs> That even the wind and the sea obey him. So Jesus in a certain condition, he says, let us go to the other side. And so they decided to go by the boat. And so when they get in the boat, there's a storm and the storm is so great. And Jesus is absolutely fast asleep in the storm. I have a question for you. What is your expression when you're in the middle of a storm? Let's just say you're flying in a plane. And there's turbulence. <laughs> I've prayed prayers like, Father, into your hand I commend my spirit. <laughs> forgive me, Lord, forgive me, forgive me. Of any sin, even if I don't know, forgive me, forgive me. It is finished. <laughs> I'm coming home. I'm coming home. <laughs> One day, you know, we were flying, I think, to America, and uh, I was sleeping uh, in, the, in the plane, and all of a sudden, I felt like I was bouncing on my seat. <laughs> so I was like, what is this feeling? Because when you're, you don't know whether you're on the plane when you're in the middle of sleep, right? Uh, so I felt like I was literally, I was bouncing off my seat, and... I woke up and I was like, oh my goodness, I'm going to die. You understand? The circumstance that the plane was going through got into me. It's the same thing that happened to the disciples. The circumstance of the wind and the waves, the atmosphere, the, the storm was so great that it was beating against the boat. It was coming into the boat that they thought they were going to die. It's that word that creeped into their mind. 
And when it crept into their mind, they began to survive rather than rest. It causes them, it caused them to get into this place of, I need to save my life rather than trust that God will save my life. That's why Jesus says, where's your faith? Is your faith in your ability or God's ability to save you? Have you given your life to Jesus or do you still have your life? Because if you still have your life and you're making decisions for your life, then you get into survival mode. But when you, your life, your business, your family, all of it is surrendered to the Lord, then he begins to take care of your life. And every circumstance and situation in your life presents to you its perspective. And you, in that moment, have to choose God's perspective. Now, let me tell you something. God's perspective is something that is from above. It is so amazing that it would confound even the wisest of people on the earth. It could be so simple, but it will confound you. Do you understand? It's like this. Jesus says, if you see me, you've seen the Father. He says, the Father and me are one. Right? You know what I'm talking about. And then he goes on to say that I only see what, I, what the Father does. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only say what I hear the Father saying. When did this happen? While Jesus was on the earth. When, when it was such a quick situation. Somebody comes to him sick or demon possessed and he needed to pray. And he prays for that person. Almost instantly they get healed. When was Jesus looking at the Father and looking at that person? Unless we trace a couple of steps back and we listen to what he said. If you see me, you've seen the Father. They're one. So what was Jesus saying is as the Father sees that person, I see the person. When the Father speaks to that person, I speak to that person. When I speak to that person, the Father speaks... Do you understand? And so he stepped out as the father to heal the sick. He stepped out as the father to speak to the, to the demon-possessed person. And he spoke to the storm in that moment. The reason why the storm calmed down is because there was no storm on the inside of Jesus. If you were to look at your life, at the storms in your life, man, my boyfriend is leaving me. Oh, my girlfriend is leaving me. Oh, my Facebook fans are not following me anymore. <laughs> this is the millennial problems. The storm is for the millennials these days, you know. Oh, I've lost my job. Oh, my wife has left me. Oh, my parents have thrown me out of the house. Whatever it is, I know it's really drastic, but trust me, I've been through... I've seen people who have had these experiences and it may sound funny, but trust me, until when you're thrown out of the house, you know, it's not a funny thing. It's a storm. And, and it, 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 when you're in that position and everything is against you, everyone, you feel that everyone is against you, in that moment, you have to choose to see your circumstance the way God sees it. If your perspective is God's perspective for your life, then you will have authority over that circumstance. Do you understand what I'm saying? So in, in essence, what I'm really saying is God's perspective is the provision of dominion and authority over the circumstance. When you choose 
to see your circumstance the way God sees it, you've stepped into his grace for that circumstance. Come on now. Do you understand? If, if, you're, if you've had a job loss, in our church, when you come to pray, when you come to me for prayer for a job, the first thing we do is celebrate. <laughs> you know why we celebrate? Because we know that God is going to provide a job for you. Do you understand? It's the perspective. So when, when I have the perspective of you already getting a job and I laugh at your circumstance, I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing at the, at the demons that are bringing the circumstances in your life. I'm saying we have more authority than the circumstances in your life. And so, and so when we step into a place of authority, it's because of the perspective. It has absolutely nothing to do with how many years you're a Christian. Oh, whether even you're a Christian or not, you can choose the perspective of God and say, in this circumstance, I see God doing this. And in that moment, begin to declare it in your life. And let me tell you something. The word of God, the Bible says that when God speaks, his word will accomplish everything that he set it out to do. God's perspective in your life is God's provision in your life. You must understand that. It's very, very important for you to understand. God's perspective, the way God sees your life, is the way he's provided the way out for your problem. Oh, come on now. God's perspective, I'll repeat it because some of my friends are still looking at me without perspective. God's perspective for your life is God's provision. That provision, provision. Which means he's, he's getting you to look at what he looks at. He's getting you to look at how he looks at it. That's me having perspective. God's perspective is so much more higher than our perspective. In fact, the book of, of Isaiah says that, he, he says that your ways Definitely not my ways. Your thoughts are not my thoughts. In fact, as far as heaven is from the earth, so great is my thoughts. They're so different compared to everything else. And when you have that perspective over your circumstance and situation, now it completely changes the reason, the purpose for your life. The, the purpose for, for that test in your life. That purpose for that temptation in your life. In fact, you would be like Jesus. You would be like, God, if it's your will, let me, let this cup pass for me. But let not your will, let not my will, but your will be done. And then he began to drink that cup of suffering. See, a lot of times we, we think that we, we, we get saved into this little bubble called Christianity and we have no suffering. Look at, look at Jesus' life. There was not a single day that he was not challenged. There was not a single day that Jesus had a day off. He was on all the time. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. This is, this is probably my favorite verse in the Bible. Philippians chapter 4. <clears throat> and we'll read from verse 4. 
Are you ready? Let's read it together. One, two, three. Rejoice in the Lord. Stop. Let's read it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Let's read it again. And again, I will say, Rejoice! <laughs> Even when you come to church. Rejoice in the Lord always. I checked the, the Greek and the Hebrew. That word always, it means always. <laughs> always. You know, the, the good thing about, about our church is that about 70 to 80% of our time together, we're just laughing. You know why? Because the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. So which means there's, there's a rejoicing that happens always. And then there's a greater level of rejoicing. So if you're rejoicing in every circumstance or situation, it leads you to rejoice Always. What's he trying to say in just that little verse? No matter what the circumstances that you're going through in your life, rejoice. Listen, Jesus' strategy was rejoicing. I'll show you how, how that happens. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Verse 5, this is beautiful. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Verse 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's amazing. Absolutely amazing verse. When you always have a heart of gratefulness, it's a demonstration of an inner reality. A grateful heart is an expression of a peaceful mind. Yeah. A grateful heart is an expression of a peaceful mind. It says that my faith is not in my own works. My faith is in God's ability to provide for me. It's in God's ability to protect me. It's in God's ability to give me a new job. It's in God's ability to take care of all of my needs, not according to my riches, but His riches in glory. So, so I need to rejoice. Always. If I'm sick, the way I get healed is not for, by the pastor praying for me. The way I get healed is by rejoicing. The way my money, the money in my bank account increases is not by me saving. It's by me rejoicing. Let me tell you something. The pastors in churches really, they go to God wanting the church to grow and they go to God with painful, mournful faces. God, please, grow the church. God. But the 
God wants us to come to Him in all circumstances to rejoice. You, you must understand, when, when Jesus, uh, when His friend Lazarus died, you know, when His friend Lazarus died, His family was telling Him, Jesus, you could have come your four days late, Jesus. <laughs> and Jesus does not even respond to them. He just turns to His Father and He says, Father, I give you thanks because you always hear me. <laughs> his friend just died. His response to the father is, I give you thanks because you always hear me. Thankfulness really allows a dead situation to become alive. It completely changes. It completely changes every circumstance. Every situation in your life, if relationships are dead or dying, the first response is, Father, I'm so thankful that you always hear me. And it's in that place, like the book of Philippians says, make your requests known to God. So what we need to really do before God is not go, not allow the circumstantial situation to lead us to God to pray, God, I need money to pay my bills. No, go to God and say, God, Thank you for this opportunity, that this opportunity presented to me a circumstance for me to grow in my authority. So I thank you for this circumstance. I thank you for this relationship that is dying. I thank you for this relation. I thank you for this job that is not performing. I thank you for this. The money in my bank is dwindling and I've not seen my money going to plus. I thank you, God. I thank you that this test is only testing me, but it's only making me stronger in my faith in you. No matter what happens, God, you must understand that when Paul and Silas were in the prison, then the prison doors were around them. They were in the deepest, darkest part of the prison and in chains, they began to praise and worship God. And when they worshiped God, when they started giving God thanks, the Bible says that the chains fell off. As a church, I want to offend the religious mind by telling you, stop running to man. Stop going to a man. Stop running to a pastor. Stop running to a prophet for your breakthrough. I've got a key for you. It is rejoice in the Lord always. And again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. I said rejoice. Come on, let's stand up, let's stand up. Keep rejoicing, come on. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. So here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to rejoice. Without music, we're going to rejoice. You know how to do it. I don't need to teach you how to rejoice. When the enemy comes at you one way, you rejoice in the Lord always. 
Just put a put thanksgiving on your mouth. Put thanksgiving on your lips. Thank him for every circumstance. Thank him for every situation. Please don't misunderstand. Please don't misunderstand. I am not saying that God is sending that to you. Please listen to me for one minute. One minute. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I just picked it up from someone. God is not sending you these problems. The enemy is doing it on his own. He, 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 God tells Cain this. He says, watch out because the enemy is at the foot of your door. Watch out that you fall into temptation. Don't fall into temptation. Jesus prayed, Father, keep us from temptation. Why? It's because temptation is always around us. Listen, you don't need a Bible college to mature in the Lord. You need to pass your tests every day. Do you understand? To mature in your relationship with God, God allows these circumstances. If he allowed a storm to come to Jesus, you're a new creation. <laughs> Hello. Let me, let me tell you something. It's, it culminates to the ultimate test. And the ultimate test is overcoming death in your life. So you've got to come. You've got to overcome the little temptations. Every time you overcome a temptation, every time you overcome a hurdle in your life, you are overcoming death. You're overcoming death and it's destruction over your life. Every time you pray for a sick person and they get healed, you're overcoming death in their life. But it's, you're culminating. It's culminating. It's growing into this big test. The ultimate test is overcoming death in your life. If you have sickness in your body, you've got to rejoice in the Lord always. Why? Because God has brought, allowed a test to come at you, to mature you, to overcome that test. The Bible says that he has given you authority. All power and authority, Jesus said, has been given to me. Now you go. You go do it. He didn't say keep coming back to me. He says you go do it. It's amazing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Because after you're done rejoicing, something else will come at you giving you a reason not to rejoice. But even when you have that reason, you still rejoice again. So the, so the response, the response to difficult times in our lives is really a mockery to the enemy. It's not crying. It's not saying, God, I'm so weak. Actually, it's laughing at the enemy. You laugh at the enemy. You make a mockery of his attack by rejoicing in the Lord always. And then the Bible says that when you rejoice, now, be anxious for nothing. After you're done rejoicing and rejoicing again, 
be anxious for nothing anxiety is the lie of the devil it's a word that comes into your mind that when you entertain anxiety it births fear in your heart and when fear is birthed in your heart it, it removes perfect love out of your heart but when you understand that you are perfectly loved oh God the Father loves you perfectly that perfect love will cast out all fear and God will center you in perfect peace the peace that surpasses all understanding I remember in, in 2008, when the financial crash happened, I had just joined a new company, actually launched a, news, new, a newspaper, and uh, uh, it was the first year, and in the first year, we had done 56 million. Uh, uh, just my boss and me, two of us, advertising sales, 56 million, right? Uh, it's phenomenal. How I worked, I, only God knows. It's the grace of God. I don't, I don't want to find out how I work, but it came. Money just came into the company. 56 million in the first year. And then the 2008 crashed. Crash happened. And I was like, wow. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Crash. Such a lie. Recession is the lie of the devil. But you see, you see, I was in such a state of peace. So peaceful that it was, I was laughing in the office. It was just as if nothing had ever happened. For me, nothing had ever happened. But for my boss, he looked at me and he was offended. How can you not be sad? <laughs> well, are you not serious about, how are we going to get the money? <laughs> You're not serious. You're not serious about this job. Maybe you should look for another job. So my boss was telling me. But I rejoiced in the Lord, brother. I went to church. I gave. Actually, I gave double in those days. Because <laughs> it's a demonstration of my faith. I gave double. I went to church. I went to, I did, we did three meetings a day. Uh, three meetings a week. Four meetings a week. Six hours, five hours of worship. We just worship. Go in the morning, come back in then at two, two o'clock, three o'clock in the morning. It's just absolutely fine. In that place, God saw my faithfulness. Faithfulness to his house, faithfulness to his kingdom, and faithfulness to his word. I did not allow the word of recession to get into my heart, into my mind. And in that year, 2008, while every other company was getting affected by the recession, my company made 76 million. Do you understand? You must understand that God's ways are not man's ways. God's wisdom is not man's wisdom. His wisdom is so far above. The Bible says, lift up your head, O you gates, and let the King of glory come in. Every time you rejoice in your life, every time you're in a circumstance, it could be painful, but trust me, when you start rejoicing, you're saying, God, I choose your perspective over my life than any other perspective right now. And I choose to lift you up. So right now in this moment, no matter what you're going through, just begin to rejoice in the Lord. Just lift up your voice. Every challenge, every test, every temptation, every trial, every offense will bow its knee when you start rejoicing.